We're looking forward to that. It's interesting, the song that was just shared uh, began with a story from nature. Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. A story of roses and thorns. And as we turn today to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, in your Bibles, if you will, the Gospel of Mark, uh, we are also uh, in a study uh, together uh, from this Gospel today of some stories from nature. I wonder if the Lord Jesus Christ came to Seattle today and wanted to communicate with us uh, what um, illustrations would make sense to us. Would he use parables and illustrations from uh, the aviation industry, from uh, high-tech and computers, from uh, e-commerce, you know, the things that we live on in our world, uh, shipping and fishing, uh, what kind of things would we really relate to? And as Jesus uh, came and spoke to these people in uh, Galilee, upper, uh, upper uh, Israel, upper Palestine, uh, these people were a people that lived in a very agrarian uh, culture. Their urban centers were small. And uh, farming and fishing, uh, this was the breadbasket of uh, Israel. Uh, even today, if you go there, you can see the beautiful farmlands up there. And so he used parables from nature that made sense to these people. And this morning in Sunday school, we considered, uh, as we're studying, uh, if you're visiting with us today in our Sunday school hour, we're studying uh, early childhood through adult. We are studying the Gospel of Mark together, hence the uh, discussion guide that's in your bulletin with some questions for you to think about during the week and maybe talk about in your family uh, with each other. Uh, maybe find another person to just share with about that. And uh, we considered this morning the parables from chapter 4. So let's pray. Fathers, we open your word today. Uh, I just want to thank you for each person that's here today. There are many places they could be, but they've chosen to come and uh, support and encourage others with their presence today. Uh, They've chosen to come to uh, worship you. And we've enjoyed uh, the opportunity to just lift our voices and our thoughts through scripture and song this morning. Songs based on scripture and scriptural principles uh, to worship you, for you alone are worthy of our worship. Be with our children and our early childhood group as they are meeting now with their leaders. We pray your blessing upon them and uh, open our eyes to your gospel message this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I want to uh, focus this morning in our time together, uh, especially on uh, chapter 4, and the parable in verse 26, which is the, what in my Bible, it's titled, The Parable of the Growing Seed. Uh, this is a good question. The titles, as I talked about in our class this morning, the title to the parables are uh, not given by Jesus or the author, not by Mark, but they are attributed um, uh, and, uh, by the, those who put captions in our Bible. And uh, this one's called The Parable of the Growing Seed. Some see it as a parable of the patient farmer. Um, uh, some see it as a parable of the harvest as well. But we'll look at that this morning. But as a background to it, just to remind you that the front part of this chapter is the parable of the sower and the seed. And just as background, let's just read it quickly. Verse 3, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, 
The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. I think the the focus of this parable is the harvest. That's the goal of this parable. Talk about how a harvest comes. And then Jesus explained it to his disciples. And in verse 13 and following, he explains how these various, uh, the seed, uh, in some cases the birds come and eat the seed and it's gone. Other cases it falls on ground where it looks like it's going to take root, but underneath is, is a hard rocky surface and there's no place for the roots. And so it's, it, it scorches and dies Um, And he talks about how the troubles of this world, persecution, the deceitfulness of wealth, all these things enter in and keep the seed from bearing a harvest. But then the last thing he says is, but there is a seed that, that is sown, in verse 20, on good soil. These people are hear the word, they accept it. And, and really the word accept here is a different word. This is the first time this is introduced. Early the people hear it. They hear it and receive it. But these people hear it, receive it, and accept it. That's another word that's used. And it's the idea of they accept it for themselves and make it part of their lives. And it, and it produces a crop, a harvest, 30, 60, 100 times, a huge harvest from what was sown. So this is the parable. And it's in this context that Jesus then begins to talk about a lamp that is put on a stand. Kevin shared with us the, the ministry of Dare to Share this week of sharing your light and not hiding it. And that's in verses 21 through 25. And then we have this parable of the growing seed. He said this also. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And then the final parable is the parable of the mustard seed. What shall we say? The kingdom of God is like. Or what parable shall we use to describe it? Again, a parable from farming, from harvest. It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Now, there are other smaller seeds than a mustard seed. But in the Jewish culture of the first century, this was sort of a parabolic saying. This was a, a common understanding they would use. The rabbis would refer to the, the smallest of seeds, the mustard seed. They were familiar with this idea. And you put this small seed in the ground, and yet it's planted. It grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches the birds of the air can perch in the shade. We don't particularly grow mustard plants around here, I don't think. Um, but this idea that this little teeny seed all of a sudden produces this beautiful shrub tree that birds can use, it produces shade, it's a wonderful thing. So we use these, Jesus uses the illustrations from gardening, from harvesting, from farming. Now this morning, um, I know that we like to pride ourselves on multitasking, so I just have two things for you to remember when you go home today. Can you do that? Can you remember two things? Chris, got two things? At least one of them. Okay, well, that's good. All right, we're halfway there. Okay, I'm going to say, you know, two thoughts today. And so let's work through this, this parable 
And uh, let's consider really two things I want you to take home uh, with you this morning from this passage. The first thing, obviously, in verse 26, is this story of, now you notice it's introduced by, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Okay, and this is something new that's introduced in these parables, the kingdom of God. This man scatters seed on the ground. Now, just like the parable of the, of the farmer in the first part of the chapter, this is not necessarily somebody just indiscriminately throwing seed. You know, I've, I've, I have, have to admit I've planted grass seed that way. I've dug up some ground and just throw grass seed on it and hope it grows. I did that one time, and uh, the birds in the neighborhood had a great feast, <laughs> and, the, and the seed was gone. I learned a little trick in Minneapolis from, from a friend of mine who knew a lot more about this night, is put some like potato sack type stuff down, the gunny sack type things, and just before they get too grown, take it up. It protects the seeds. So I did that, and that worked. But this guy is not just, this, this is a farmer. In both cases, we're dealing with a farmer. This is not, this is not some lazy guy who just, you know, sort of like the, you know, the old Disney thing, the world owes us a living, you know. This, he's farming. And as part of his farming, he does scatter a lot of seed. And hence, in the previous uh, parable, we have these four different types of soil that, that affect the seed that are parables of life. But in this particular case, this, even though he's a farmer, even though he's a professional seed planter, how many of you here grew up on farms? Come on, I know Al did. How many? Not, not too many of us, huh? Grew up on farms. Um, this guy's a professional farmer. He knows what he's doing. But even though he does this, notice what it says. Once he does this, and there's, not a, there's no indication here that this guy just walks away and leaves the field until the harvest. But even as a farmer, even as one who tends to this field, even as one who uh, tries to get it watered, tries to pick the weeds, tries to prepare the soil, he's a farmer. But every night he goes to bed. And every day he gets up and he works at it again. And you notice it says here, night and day. The night comes first because in the Middle Eastern world, the day begins at 6 o'clock you know, in the evening. So night and day. His day begins. He goes to bed. He gets up. And while he's doing this, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. He does not know how. In other words, he knows what he's doing as a farmer. But there is a point at which the growth of the seed is completely out of his hands. Now, I had a little illustration in my own life yesterday. You know, at our house, some of you have been to our house, down in uh, Greenwood, Green Lake, Finney Ridge area. Um, if you try to sell the house, you say Green Lake or Finney Ridge. You know, that sounds better. Um, <laughs> And we have these steps going up to our house. And I, I've, this is the house I grew up in. You know, we moved back here in 1984, and eventually we, we bought the house for my mom. And uh, so I did some calculating, and out of my 62 years, I'd say 52 years I've lived in this house. I was gone for six years in Minneapolis. Teresa and I lived somewhere else here. I was going to graduate school. I went to college away to Michigan. But for 52 years, I have been up and down those front steps into my house because you... In my house, you, you start you know, here and you walk up these steps to go into the house because it's, it's a big old house. Um, I, I, I'm just, I would say countless, but that wouldn't even do justice. I'm sure thousands of times, literally thousands of times, I have been up and down those stairs. Yesterday, I decided we, I would help you know, go out and spend an hour working in the yard. It was a nice day. Can you believe the weather? You could be living in New York right now. You know, or Chicago, you know. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we went out and worked in the yard for about an hour. And I went out and I decided, I, I, I told Teresa, I'm going to help take over some of the gardening this year. I've always cut the grass. I, I don't think you need to laugh about that, okay? <laughs> but, um, you know, she's always done the gardening. It was a hobby of Teresa's. And uh, now she does more knitting and stuff, you know, and so the gardening has to be done. But the thing about a hobby like gardening, unlike model railroads, you know, um, you know, my railroad doesn't grow. It just, it just stays downstairs, and I can go back once a year and do something, and it's, it's not cause Gardens keep on multiplying, don't they? They grow, and, they get, and there's a lot to do. So I said, I'm going to help this year. So I started trimming the hydrangea bush. Quit laughing, Al. Why are you laughing at it? That's not funny. <laughs> so this is what our hydrangeas look like right now because it's wintertime. And, you know, we don't pay much attention. And I went out and decided I'm going to start trimming the hydrangea bush. And these are, if, if you don't know hydrangea, these are beautiful uh, bluish-colored flowers, really beautiful at our house in the, in the, in the fall. In the, when do they? When? Summer. Summer, thank you, yeah. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> My point is, I have been up and down these stairs a thousand times. And you know what I had to ask Teresa this morning? I tried to do it in a way that was just not too obvious. I said, did, did you plant that bush or was that like original equipment, you know, came with the house? I said, no, it was there when we moved. My mom or aunt or the cooks who built the house or whatever planted this hydrangea. That's how, that's how much I've spent paying attention to the hydrangea plant. It's been there my, oops, sorry. It's been there my whole life. This is the first time I've ever pruned it. And I, I'm not really, some of us men, and I don't mean to stereotype, but some of us, if we don't pay attention, aren't the best pruners. You know, we sometimes end up with, you know, flat cuts or balls. <laughs> but I decided, I, I noticed something. I have never noticed in my life. It's kind of embarrassing. I have never in my life ever noticed this in my hydrangea bush. I come and go all winter, like, you know, the sluggard in the story, you know. And, just, and, and I thought, oh, I could figure that out. I'll prune it right above the, the blossoms or whatever, the buds. And this hydrangea is full of these little green buds. I've never noticed that. But you know what? For 52 years of my life that I've lived in that house, this has happened every year. And I never noticed not only, but if I, even if I had noticed, like I have now noticed, okay, I cannot sit and watch those grow. But they grow every single year. And the point of, the point of this parable that Jesus tells with this, this farmer, he scatters a seed. Teresa has taken care of that hydrangea bush for 30 years. Uh, this is my year to do it. And I did it. Um, You, you, you look at it, you want, he says, look at it, all by itself. The soil, verse 28, produces grain, the stalk, the head, and then the kernel, and then it's ripe. What is his point in this story? This, this, is, the, this is on the heels of the story of the, the, the sowing the seed, and the, and the four cases where three of them it didn't do so well, but one it produced a crop. That story is about the harvest and about the things that, the things that keep the seed from growing. Not all the seed grows. 
This story, we could almost kind of take it and interpose it back into that story. We could take, we could take what he says here and apply it to that last category. The last category where we read about, and he says in verse 20, and Jesus explains, others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times was sown. And we could take this parable and put it back into that part of the story. And we put it back in that part of the story and we realize that, yes, it bears a crop, maybe a hundredfold. But in order for that to take place, it takes time. It takes a farmer working it. It takes rain. It takes good soil. It takes nutrients in the soil. It takes everything that goes into a harvest. But at some point, it is completely out of the farmer's hands. And it is dependent on what? In this case, it's the soil. Interesting, in, this, in verse 28, where your Bible, my, this is the NIV translation, says, all by itself, the soil produces grain. Now, this is a, this is a story. This is, a, this is not so much even a parable. This is a true story, but it is a parable because of the, 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 set, the story he sets up. The word in verse 28 for all by itself is a word we get automatic from. In the Greek, it's automeia, I believe. It's the word that we get automatic from. You could easily translate this automatically. The soil produces grain. It is, it is predisposed to do this, but God has set it up, and we, all, and we believe this, of course. We believe that God created our world. God created nature. We don't call it Mother Nature. It's God created it, and He, and he created it so that automatically... The soil can produce this grain. And of course, given the fact this is a parable and a story to teach us other things, obviously, and this is interesting, who does the farmer represent? Is the farmer God? But it says the farmer doesn't know what's going on. Um, who does the, the seed represent? If given the earlier parable, the seed must be the word of God. What does the harvest represent? That automatically the good soil, what is the good soil? In the previous uh, parable, it's the heart of the recipient. And it's one where the, where the thorns and thistles don't choke it out, where the ground is not stony and hard. It's good soil. And we can, and we can take this and put it back into that parable, and this is what happens to that heart. So big point number one, this is a principle from Scripture that we'll see that runs throughout the eras, throughout the dispensations from Genesis to Revelation, there is this principle in Scripture that, and, and also, we, we probably could connect this if you go back in the middle of the parable of the sower when Jesus is explaining this. Notice verse 11. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, and he quotes from Isaiah, about the leaders of Israel at the time in Isaiah's life, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And there is an element of God's sovereignty and what God is doing, obviously, that is represented in this story. And we come to the parable of the good seed that grows up by itself, and we see that all things considered ultimately... When it says the soil automatically produces, obviously it's the work of God. You plant seeds. 
Yesterday, after we did our gardening, got inspired and went up to Swanson's and uh, bought a few plants that were on sale this time of year. And I bought a new coffee plant, a little coffee plant. I had a coffee plant that got to be about this big, and I never, I loved that plant, but I never took care of it. Teresa took care of it, finally got tired of taking care of it. When, uh, when it got to where it was sort of unwieldy and it's gone, I got a new one now. I'm, I think I'll put it in my office. You can come in and see my coffee plant. Come and have a cup of coffee sometime. Um, <laughs> 55 years from now, invite you over. <laughs> um, but 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 this but this you know we, these, these plants they, they grow and listen. Simple simple point number one take home with you today. Uh, we tend to be very impatient people. Uh, we tend to be very impatient when it comes to gardening, farming, planting tomatoes, things like that. For those of us who didn't grow up in a farm, it's easy to be very in, impatient. But you know, one one thing about a farmer, they understand. They understand the rhythm of nature that God has established. They know what they have to do. They know there are some things out of their hands. They cannot produce rain. You can irrigate to some degree, but you cannot control the storms, the hail, the rain. There are things out of your hands. But they do understand patience. It takes time to produce a crop. And this is a biblical principle, friends. And I just want, I want to remind you today that a big part of what we are as a church. Our elder board is going to be spending time this spring in some, some vision planning for our church and, and looking down the road, what, what we want this work to look like, what God would want us to have this work look like. One of the things that it requires, it requires some patience. It requires some hard work. Paul says in Timothy, the hard-working farmer is the first to enjoy the crops. Um, you know, when our children left her a little while ago and went out those doors to go to children's church. Over in that building there, all of our little, our little younger children, they're, they're in classes. Our children's choir that's going to be sharing in a couple weeks. When we come here on Sunday, we don't just throw something together and say, well, we hope, we hope this works. They're, they're just kids. This is, this is big church. You know, they're just kids. No, we, a lot of work and time and energy and money and resources and prayer and effort Go into that program. They're taking young people, teenagers, to dare to share this weekend. You don't just throw that together and say, hey, you guys, show up, let's go. A lot of work goes into that. A lot of money, a lot of commitment. We've got, we got people that, that give up, leaders that give up their, their, their weekend to go with these guys to the Dare to Share conference. These guys came all the way over from Port Orchard, I mean, from Post Falls, Idaho. Uh, yeah, ooh, thanks, Casey. <laughs> you know, it takes time. And I just want to tell you that we as a church, we are committed to this. And we are committed to investing in people, and you need to be committed to investing in people. You, if God is using you right now to sow seeds in someone's heart, if sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a good chance you're not going to see the harvest. Those of you that went out and shared the gospel this weekend, the Dare to Share thing, there's a good chance you're not going to see the harvest. You're not going to see the results. But that doesn't really matter. It might be years from now, Somebody might be sitting in a service like they've done here. Somebody might be in some other situation. Somebody might be talking to something else. And all of a sudden, God opens their heart and it all makes sense. And what was shared to them maybe years ago, months ago, it comes to fruition. Because while we're not seeing anything happen, while you and I are not seeing anything happen at all, what is happening is this. God is working. 
And we have to believe that. And we have to have the patience to understand that. It's good to have you guys from Idaho with us. Casey Duke. How old are you, Casey? 28 in February. Casey was born after I got here. I have seen, I have seen Casey since he was a baby. I don't know, I may have even dedicated him if I didn't, Pastor Schutz did. One of us did. I always helped in that, and Pastor Cliff. Casey grew up in this church. There were probably times where it didn't occur to any of us that Casey was going to be investing his life in young people and making a huge difference in their lives. I'm sure there were times I never thought of that. He was a good kid, he was, for the most part. He was, <laughs> he was fun to have around. He married up. That was good. <laughs> it's always a good thing to do. I did the same thing. But, you know, God was at work that whole time. And now he's investing his life in these young people, and God is working. God is working in lives, friends. I want you to take that home with you today. Don't ever give up. Don't ever quit praying for somebody. Don't ever get discouraged because you don't see what's going on. It doesn't matter if you see it or not. What matters is what God is doing because the soil automatically will produce the fruit when God's hand is in it. Principle number two, I just want to touch on because we're going to have to go in here in a few minutes. This one's a little more difficult. This one's a little more difficult. But I have confidence in you. You're here to hear some difficult things too, not just the easy things. Principle number two I want you to take home is at the very end of this story, verse 29. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle into it because the harvest has come. Now, I see, you and I wouldn't necessarily pick up something that is important in this story without some context. And that's one of the advantages of taking some time to study and to read with some other people that have studied and things they've written that have had, you know. This is in a context. This is in first century Judaism, in Palestine, in Israel. This is a Jewish audience. This is a Jewish context. These people knew the Old Testament. The Old Testament is an oral study. I mean, people didn't have scrolls to take home with them. They came to synagogue and they listened. They grew up in school and they memorized it. And they knew the Old Testament scriptures. And most of it was in their head because they couldn't take it home in writing with them. It was too, it was too expensive. And in this context... Some of the key authors that I like to use for my study on this who are particularly good in the language, the Greek and the Hebrew and the, the Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. It's a, it's a form of Hebrew. It's in the Hebrew family. It's Aramaic. There are people who still speak that today in the Middle East. Those who studied that made a point that in this context, when Jesus concluded this with, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come, the context would take them back to Joel, J-O-E-L, Joel, chapter 3. Because it's this context, Jesus in his Aramaic used almost the exact phrase that would have been the Hebrew that Joel used. Listen, I can just read this to you. Let the nations be roused. 
And I told you it's a little more difficult now. This is the second point to take home with you. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I, that is God, will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle. It's the exact phrase in Hebrew that Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic when he told this parable. Swing the sickle. The actual verb tense and the number that he uses. For the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened. The stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. In this context, especially the rabbis and teachers, they would have had to have caught this when the story of the seed that has a life of its own that is growing and comes to fruition and when the harvest is spoken of, the harvester, in this case, I think the metaphor easily changes that God now is the farmer. According to Joel, he takes the sickle and he sweeps it clean and he uses the same language that is part of the end time, the judgment, and the end that brings in the fruition of the messianic kingdom of God. We happen to believe at our church that this era we live in today is the church, the body of Christ. We do believe in the rapture, that the rapture is going to take place. It could happen any time. And after it takes place, we believe that God is going to resume his work through ethnic Israel for the entire world, not just for Israel, for the entire world. There is going to be a tribulation time. We believe literally what Daniel talks about, what Revelation, go home and read Revelation 14 about the sickles of judgment. You know, do you know what a sickle is, you guys, young people? You know, it's something that's round like this that you use to to cut off the heads of the grain, to cut off the, the produce. It's very sharp. You don't mess around with the sickle. It's a symbol of judgment. And at the end of that judgment, God ushers in the beautiful kingdom. And I want to tell you this. Point number one, I've told you, to take home with you, the patience that God is working. Point number two, I want you to take home with you. Part of the teaching and preaching of the Holy Bible, Old and New Testament, is the message of judgment and the final consummation of things and the wonderful Messianic kingdom that's finally going to come and then the new heavens and new earth. I think this is part of this parable. And I think that's why he goes in the parable of the mustard seed and tells them, listen, this seed, what is it like? I compare it to a little teeny seed you put in the ground it has a life of its own, and you may not see it happening, but the result is going to be the kingdom, this wonderful kingdom, and the, and the tree that brings shade and, and, and produce and life. And friends, listen, God's story of redemption, that seed has been planted. It is growing right now. We do not believe we are the Messianic kingdom people. We are the church, the body of Christ, but that seed has been planted. God knows God has a timetable. This era is going to come to an end. 
Kevin mentioned this morning, there is going to come a time we will no longer be sharing the gospel with people. This, this era, this church, the body of Christ is going to come to an end. And after that is going to come the tribulation time, and it will come to an end. And then the mustard seed plant will be there. It has a life of its own. God is at work right now. But it's also a principle that we need to remember. And I think, I'm, I'm looking at my life, and I'll just tell you personally, I would say this. And I think if it's true for me, it's probably true for you. Not because I'm any better than you because I'm a pastor, because I'm just like you, I'm a person. I was a young person in this church. I sat right about where Bob and Lurcy are sitting every Sunday with my mom. And I remember sitting there on Sunday night, and I remember Pastor Peterson uh, preaching on the fact that the rapture could, we could be, we could, God could come today. And I remember a couple Sunday nights just really that going home thinking about that, not afraid, but just thinking, wow, he's right, it could happen today. And I think an element that's missing from our preaching and teaching and lives today, and I'm as guilty as anybody because I struggle with this as much as anybody, there's probably never been a culture, there's probably never been a group of, of believers who are probably challenged the most from the parable of the seed that is sown among the thorns and the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for others' things come in and choke the word and making it unfruitful. And I think we must recover in our lives what the early Christians had, what the Apostle Paul, when he, when he, when he teaches us of the coming rapture, when they began to ask him, what's going to happen to these brothers and sisters, my mom and dad that died, did they, did they miss the Lord's coming? And, and, as, and, as, he, and as he teaches them, and he gets done teaching about that. And in the next chapter, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we have that wonderful, that wonderful message of the, of the rapture. In the very next chapter, now brothers, everybody, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, peace, safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains in a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you, you are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of life. Live like that. The Apostle Peter, in, in 2 Peter, as he closes the book, he says, don't, listen, some are scoffing and say, you've been talking about the coming of the Lord for decades now, or, and it was, even, it was just a generation, and nothing's happened. It's all the same. And Peter says, hey, don't forget, with God, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. He is not slack. It will take place. And I just, I know that in today in our preaching and teaching, there is, there is an emphasis. And as a pastor, I know my responsibility to, to, to bring the word so it applies to you today. And that's our responsibility. We want you to take this home. And, and Paul says, all scripture is profitable so that we might be equipped. And that's what we're trying to do. Part of that equipping is we cannot shy away from the message of the Bible that while we may not see it, It is moving that way. There is a judgment coming. There is a wonderful kingdom coming. There is a time coming where every person living and breathing right now, every person, your kids, your children, your grandchildren, 
my grandchildren. There will come a time where, if the Bible's true and we believe it is, we will all stand before God. This is part of the Bible message. And that's the second thing I do want you to take home today. I know it's a little more difficult thought, but I believe when Jesus at the end of that parable says, and the farmer takes the sickle and he puts it into it because the harvest has come, I think every Jew in that audience would have connected with Joel. He's talking about the coming judgment, but that also precedes that coming messianic kingdom. It is part of our message. And friends, the urgency, the urgency of the gospel message and the hope that it brings has got to be part of our ministry. Listen, we, it's, it's the easiest thing to lose. And in my life, I'll be the first to say, in, in my life, I have so much more than any other generation of pastors has ever had in, in, in the history of the world. I know there's a few that are millionaires and that kind of stuff. But listen, look at our lives. We have so much. And it's so easy for that stuff to choke out the urgency. And we must not lose sight of that fact and that part of the gospel message because it all fits together. Friends, God is at work and it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. It's also moving to fruition and the harvest. And that's going to be a frightening thing for those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must not lose sight of that in love and compassion as we share, teach, preach, and live our lives where God has put you and I'll close with the old saying, blossom where God has planted you. He's got you right where he wants you. Blossom there and let God work. I ask you to bow your heads as we close in prayer. If you could do that this morning, I just want to ask you that as a church family, you'll continue to pray to God and commit with me. There are churches in our community that do things better than we do in a lot of areas, I'm sure. But I can tell you this. There's no church that's going to love your kids and grandkids and invest in their lives the way we are going to do it, at least as long as I have anything to say about it. And our current staff, I know their hearts, and that's who, that's who we are. That's who we are. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you where our priorities are. Our sister church in Post Falls, Idaho, no one in that community is going to love those kids like they're going to love them and teach them. And I want to ask you today, as we close the service, if you would just quietly pray to God and just commit yourselves to join with us and continue to ask God that this will always be a priority, that we will have the patience to invest in our children and youth and the patience to see it come to fruition. Father, we love you today. We all know we don't always act like it. And we can look back over this past week and there are times where we've neglected you in our humanity. But we do love you. And we as a people just pause today to thank you collectively for loving us and for choosing to love us. 
And we thank you so much for putting into our care young people, children, and the joy of seeing them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to that end, we leave this place committed to your ministry on this corner. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.